Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to day 15 of 21 Days of Prayer. We're going to make it. I don't know about you, but it has been kicking my butt. I think more than normal since I'm working nights, and oftentimes I don't even get to sleep. I can come straight here from work and um, then pray, and by the time prayer's over, I'm very ready to sleep, but it's making me sleep later in the day, so I just, I'm just all jacked up. So anyway, but we're so glad we're going to make it. We're going to finish strong this week. It's going to be great. Um, it's been, we've been doing several different things. It's, it's, in case you don't know, you haven't been here, let me just kind of give you a snapshot of what it's like. That it's not like, oh my gosh, how can I pray for an hour? That hour goes by so quickly. We start off with five minutes of worship. There's a short 10-minute message. This week, we're going to have some guest speakers. Um, one's going to be in person. A couple are going to be through video. Um, so, and Miss Lenore, I think, is going to do it one time this week as well. So, um, we're going to have a great, great week. We're going to finish strong. It's going to be awesome. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I can feel some things just deepening inside of me. Um, so... Then we have a time that we pray. We've got our prayer guides. If you haven't picked one up, they're in the back. And it gives all kinds of 67 pages in this thing. Teaches you warfare prayers, the prayer of Jabez, all these different things and gives you examples. It's a great way to learn how to take the next step and have that conversation with God. So anyway, we're finishing trying. I'm smiling because I know the joke that I'm about to tell you and it cracks me up. I'm so terrible at telling jokes because they just crack me up. So this Bible study group launched their small groups, just like we're about to do, and they were discussing the unforeseen possibility of sudden death. The leader of the discussion said, we will all die someday, and none of us really know when, but if we did, we would all do a better job of preparing ourselves for that inevitable event. Everyone shook their heads in agreement with this comment. Then the leader said to the group, what would you do if you knew you only had four weeks of life remaining? before your seat at the judgment with God, before you stand before God. One gentleman said, I would go out in my community and minister to the gospel to those who have not yet accepted Christ into their lives. Very good, said the group leader, and all the group members agreed. That, that would be a very good thing to do. And then one lady spoke up and said enthusiastically, I would dedicate all my remaining time to serving God, my family, my church, and my fellow man with a greater conviction. That's wonderful, the group leader commented. And then all the group members agreed, and that would be a very good thing to do. But one gentleman in the back finally spoke up loudly and said, I would go to my mother-in-law's house for the four weeks. Everyone was puzzled by that answer. And they asked him, he says, why in the world would you go to your mother-in-law's home? He goes, because that would make it the longest four weeks of my life. (laughs) God help me if my mother-in-law's watching. Anyway, that just cracks me up. But mother-in-laws and in-laws and, you know, family relationships, you know, they're, we often joke about them. I mean, it's said that the um, most surprised person um, in a successful um, man's life is his mother-in-law, you know. Behind every successful man is a surprised mother-in-law. I butchered that one, too. But we're looking this morning in the book of Ruth. So we're going to look at a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. So if you'll open your Bibles with me to, Luke, uh, to Ruth chapter 1, and I'm going to kind of paint the story for you here. We're going to read a little bit, but I'm going to kind of fill in the gaps, but we're not going to exhaust this as much as I can, and hopefully I kind of whet your appetite and you want to go back. It's not that long of a book, um, just a few chapters, and maybe you want to go finish reading the whole things. But in the days, verse 1, when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home 
and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi, and their two sons were Mahon and Kilion, and they were all these people from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. Then they married two Moabite women. So let me just just pause here. So here these Israelites are Elimelech and Naomi, and they have the two sons. Everything's not working out for them, so they go to this other country for work and see if they can make it work better there. Then the dad passes away, and Naomi's left with her two sons. Then they get married, and one of them, verse 4, married a woman named Orpha, Orpah, or however you say that, and the other one married a woman named Ruth, which is what the book is about. And about 10 years later, both the sons died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Now think about how terrible of an experience that is. Here she is. They left where they knew, their homeland. They went to this other country, and her husband dies. She's left as a widow with her two um, sons, and she's trying to raise them the best she can. They finally get married, and then they die. This is really, really a terrible situation for her. Verse 6, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughter-in-laws got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. So here she is at the end of her ropes, and now it's not worked out in Moab, and now she's without her husband, without her sons, and just her two daughter-in-laws, and it's like she's at the end of her rope. So she decides she's going to go back. And so they start on the journey, and she goes, this is stupid. Why are you guys going with me? Because there's no reason for you, my daughter-in-laws, to come. You're from here. So she told them, turn around and go home. Go back to your family. Go back to gods that you're worshiping. Go back to everything you know, and let me just take this journey alone. And the two of them said, no. They cried and cried and cried. And they said, no, I'm not going to do it. Then she said, she tried to convince them. And then the one left, and she went back. So in verse 15, she turned to Ruth and told her, trying to convince her too, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, and I want you to notice that, and to her gods. They didn't worship Jehovah God. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Now, there's two differences between these two girls from Moab. One, you know, they both cried when they said, it's, it's not worked out, I'm going back, y'all go back. They both cried and cried, but one decided, after pleading and prodding, to go back. But here Ruth is, something's changed inside of her. And I love this bottom part, which is why I highlighted it. Your God will be my God. Can I suggest to you, I think that she experienced something being that family that she realized that Jehovah was the true God. I want to suggest to you that she had this encounter with God that she knew that there was something different here than what she was raised with. That she was willing to turn her back on everything she knew. Now here we find... Ruth and Naomi, that everything terrible that could have happened has happened to them. 
Verse 19. So the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? It reminds me of every time I go in some place with Lenore, they're like pushing me to the side. Like, is it really Lenore? Oh my gosh. And I give her big hugs and I'm just chopped liver. You know, and this is kind of what's going on. They've been gone for so long. And here they're all running. Going, is it really Naomi? Is it really you? And here's her response. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. And I want you to think about this. And sometimes when bad things happen to us, we can kind of put it the blame on God or not understand, and we just try and shift it against him. And sometimes we just spew out, and this is her countrymen, this is her family, these are people she grew up with, they're all excited to see her. And here she's throwing up on them, saying, don't call me that name. Call me the name that means bitter because God has been very bad to me. Has God been bad to her? No. She suffered some really difficult circumstances, but it wasn't God who took her husband. It wasn't God who took her sons. She's struggling with grief. My life has been very bitter. She continues on in verse 21. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? See, she's even confused in her relationship with God, thinking that was God that caused these bad situations. Can I suggest to you that with that kind of attitude, Ruth was a saint for going back with that woman. Because she's got all this bitterness that she's spewing out to them. Do you think she was not spewing that same thing to Ruth? See, Ruth had every reason to quit. It was even understandable for her to quit. But she refused. She could have went back to what she knew. She could have went back to everything that was comfortable for her. But she had experienced something that she knew was different. So the story continues that they get settled in and they start working and now they don't have any way to eat. They don't have any sustenance. So um, Naomi told her, listen, you can go out and find some things, see what you can do. So she went out and she goes, hey, I found these places where they're, they're um, reaping all the harvest. And so they don't get it all and some of it falls to the ground. So I'm going to go and see if I can sneak in there and where they drop some, I'm going to pick it up, you know, and it's fair game if they drop it. So, and this was kind of what the poor, the impoverished would do. It'd be the same as someone standing on the corner, coming, knocking on your window, like, hey, you got any change? You got any money for me? And so it's, it's really not what you're supposed to do, but you know, they kind of did that for if you really were desperate. So she went and she found this field. And so she went in. It turns out to be someone who is related to Naomi's husband who had passed away. He found out who she was. And then they, he, she told, he told the, uh, the gleaners, hey, leave a little bit extra for her. And it's such a beautiful story. And I'm so tempted to go down that road, but I'm not. Again, go read it for yourself. It's a beautiful story. So then he comes and he meets Ruth for the first time. And he goes, hey, who are you? Well, he had already found out who she was. He knew. And so then he says, hey, listen, I'm going to let you continue. Don't worry about it. No one's going to give you any trouble. In verse 10 of chapter 2, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. He says, what have I done to deserve such kindness? 
because I'm only a foreigner. See, she's acknowledging that she's from this other country. But listen to what he says, verse 11. Yes, I know, but I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law. See, he's tying in that she's not a foreigner. She's actually married into the same family that he's a part of. And he recognized the honor that he, she has shown to her mother-in-law. I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And I've heard how you left your father and your mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. It's such a beautiful story, and, and it goes on, and, and Naomi gives her the, the wisdom and knows how, and she goes, and it's a love story extraordinaire. And again, I encourage you to go read. It's not very long to finish reading, and to, it, just to get the whole thing. And as I was preparing last night, I was reading through the whole thing, and it's just like, you'd expect violence playing in the background and butterflies be released. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. But the focus this morning isn't on the love story part of it, that bad things had happened to them. Naomi, particularly. She lost her husband, and then she lost her son. She lost everything. And it'd be so easy for her to give up. Even with her bad attitude, God still was patient with her. God still had a solution for her. See, we all have bad things that are going to happen to us. We're going to have bad situations. With school just starting and with work and different employment things going on, you can have all these different things that come against us. But what are we going to do with it? Are we going to let those things sink our battle? Are we going to let them make, make our mouths be running like Naomi's? Like, why in the world should you even still call me by my name? And just call me another name that means I'm terrible. You know, because this is how terrible it's been in my life. God has a plan. And I want to show you that God is actually interceding for us. He's praying for us. As if we're day of 15 of 21 days of prayer, not only are we praying, but Jesus is praying for us. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is describing what's about to happen. He's trying to tell the disciples and prepare them for everything. And he turns to Simon, and he says in verse 31, Simon Peter, he says, Simon Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I don't know about you, but that is not good news. When God Almighty says, hey, listen, the enemy is coming, and he is really wanting to put you in the colander, and he wants to just push that thing so that you're just pushed and you're crushed down. But the greatest, what, probably one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible is verse 32. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. Jesus, the Son of God, is praying for Peter. I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Now, it goes on that, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to dig dive too deep with all this, but the point is this scripture. But he goes on to say, Peter's like, well, I'm not going to have any reason to repent. And he goes, oh, no, 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 listen, before the, the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And, and he, Jesus already knew what was going to happen. And Jesus had already prayed for him, even when he knew his faith was going to be tested. He's praying that it won't fail. And he knows that he's going to have a repentant heart later. Jesus knows all this stuff. And even though he knew everything is going to happen, he's still praying. And interceding. Can I just remind you again that God knows all the mistakes that I'm going to make. 
God knows all the mistakes and the struggles that I'm going to have, and he's already forgiven me. And Jesus is up there praying and encouraging my faith as well. But can I point out a couple of things to you? Jesus says, I'm praying for you. That's just an amazing thought that Jesus, the Son of God, is praying for me. But he's not praying that the attack won't come. Isn't that what we'd want? Jesus is praying, God, I pray you block the enemy. They won't have this attack come on Peter. I pray, God, that this won't even bother Peter, that it'll just be sloughing right off of him. No. What does he pray? That your faith would not fail. See, Jesus is praying this strengthening prayer where it undergirds you and says, hey, you're going to go through this thing. We want it to be that we don't go through it. We don't face it. It just like glances off of us. But Jesus says, no, I'm praying for strength for you. Because God knows, Jesus knows that we have to go through those storms. Naomi had to go through that difficulty that brought Ruth into that, that brought Ruth into the ultimate um, lineage of Jesus. She was Jesus's great, 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 great grandmother. She wasn't even of Israel, and yet she's Jesus's great, great, great grandmother. She was David's great grandmother. It's crazy how she got injected into the plan of God, not even from Israel, because of her faith. Leaving everything is behind her. But you see, it was all born out of that struggle of being pressed down. James 1, 2 says, when troubles come your way. In other words, when we face trials, not if, not maybe you will, maybe you won't. No, we are all going to have struggles that come our way. What are we going to do with them? Keep in mind that Jesus is praying for us. Romans 8 verse 34 says, Who then is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that was raised to life, is now at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. So not only did Jesus pray for Peter, and said, man, I'm, I'm pleading with my Father in heaven for you to be strengthened in your faith. He's now taken his place at the right hand of God and is constantly interceding for us. That's so encouraging to me. Now I want to turn it into day 15. The Bible says that if any two of you agree, and I heard someone this week um, talking in 21 days of prayer said, man, when we first started our church, he goes, man, I'm so glad it said where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am because our prayer time was only two or three people. He goes, aren't you glad it doesn't say if a hundred people show up, then I'm there in your midst. He says, it's awesome that God says where two or three are gathered in my name. It also says in another place that one will put a thousand to fly, two will put 10,000 to fly, and it goes exponential beyond that. But can I tell you that Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. And I think he stacked the deck in that respect. In the fact that he sent two by two because wherever two of them are going in agreement, he's going to show up. So he's preparing the way as we looked at this past week. In places he wants to go and move in, he sent them two by two. And then he says, wherever two of you are gathered, I'm there in your midst. He's automatically sending his presence in there. But now we've got prayer cards. 
We leave them pray, laid out here for 21 days of prayer for the whole time. So when we write on these prayer cards, there's the one person who's asking for prayer. Part of our prayer time, when we have 30 minutes, is we, have, we encourage everyone to come up here and pick up this card, and I just picked up one at random. So now I'm going to say, God, I pray for Alyssa. And I, find, I pray that she finds you and that she knows you. So now, whoever wrote this, I know who wrote this, but I, whoever wrote this is putting this on here. And now I'm picking it up. Now I'm the second person, and I'm coming into agreement. And where two people agree as touching anything, I'm touching this prayer card. Then we know that we have what we asked. So we can come through here, and we're praying over these prayer cards, and we're praying over all these three-by-five cards, and, and we're praying over our 2018 goals of what we're asking God for to happen. BC, can I tell you another thing with this whole thing? The only way that we're going to not see results is if we fail. If we stop trying. See, Naomi could have stayed there in Moab. Gave up. Ruth could have stayed in Moab and gave up. She would have never met Boaz. She would have never entered into the genealogy of David, became the greatest king of Israel. She would have not been in the lineage of Jesus coming. It looked bad for a while. The only way you fail is if you quit. You've got to keep going on when it doesn't look like there's anything to keep going on with. And some of these prayer cards have things that have been on there for a while. And there may be some requests that have been going out there and like, man, I prayed for this last 21 days of prayer and last year 21 days of prayer. And, and I was praying for this five years ago. And God, are, are you doing anything? God, I don't see any movement at all in this. But the only way we fail is if we quit. I heard my wife this week on a, on a phone call, and, and she's got this business that she's doing in health coaching. And, and I was listening to the, the um, person on the phone and, and just challenging everyone. And, and he said those words, and it really just resonated with me because I already knew what I was preaching. The only way you fail is if you quit. He went on to talk about someone that he started planting seeds in for two health coaches that had a huge, huge following. He goes, well, most people fail because they quit before they see any results. And these two people, it took them three years before they came on board, but now they just came on board, and he said they're busier than ever because all this great influx of business is coming as a result of those. He went on to talk about something that I'd forgotten Perhaps you've heard or forgotten your well as well. In 1519, the Spanish explorer and conquistador Hernando Cortez came over here looking for a better life. He took with him 500 soldiers, 100 sailors, and landed his 11 ships on the shores of the Yucatan. And then they started doing battle. But the first thing he did, does anybody know? Anybody remember? He turned and gave the order to burn the ships. Everybody thought, oh, you're, you're joking. That's funny. He goes, no, I'm serious. Burn the ships. And what he did is he left no 
option but to move forward. He left no option of retreating, to giving up, to going away, and he canceled his opportunity to quit. And as a result, he won. When we started this church, it was in the third week, and, and you know we're kind of expecting it to be like every other church that we're patterning after, and we're expecting it to be you know the 500 people here for the first service, and you know it's going to dwindle down 250 the next week, and 150 the next week, and 100. It's going to settle it. I mean, we got all this stuff going on in the formulas of how you plan a church, and it rained torrentially our first service. You guys are here. And, and then it was like, well, this isn't looking at all like what I thought it should look like. This isn't looking, it, it, this is not at all in what's going on. And, oh my gosh, should we do something different? And in praying and meeting with the elders, God told me this. And he spoke to me one of the most clear times of my entire life. He said, stay the course. Don't look at what it looks like on the left or to the right. Don't look at what it looks like in here. Don't look at the number of seats. Don't look at anything else. Stay the course. And, I, and I've come to realize that it isn't what I look at. It's what I think. See, Naomi thought that she and her husband are going to go to this other country with their sons. They're going to find wives there, and everything's going to be great, and, and they're going to go to this plant, land of more prosperity, and everything's going to be great, and that's how they're going to be the solution for their lives. And then her husband dies, and then her sons die. The solution was in her daughter-in-law going back with her and entering into the lineage of David. As a result, Naomi is part of the lineage as a grandmother. That whole family connection that's going on there. This whole situation is based on what God is trying to accomplish, not what I see. Recently, I've been forced into fundraising again for our church, and, and I, I really was struggling with that, and Pastor Matt really challenged me hardcore to do it, and, and I've had to go and start telling people, hey, this is what we're trying to do, and planning a church isn't at all what I thought it was going to be, and, and now I'm having to do this fundraising, and you know, I'm praying for 100 people that will give $25 a, a month a, in addition to their tithes that's going to help you know, undergird gird us for the year, you know, and I'm having to go, and, and I'm finding people are saying yes. You see, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't how I thought it was going to look like. Jesus also had a situation like that. Not where he had to raise money, but it was just, all these things didn't work out like it would look in the natural. He's teaching, and everybody got upset with him in John chapter 6. And in verse 66, we, we looked at it, it goes, And at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. So where he sent out the two 72 out by twos. Many of them left him. Now, if we're looking in the natural, we might go, oh my gosh, we need to have a staff meeting. We got to figure out how we're going to keep everybody. We're going to, we got to figure out how we're going to, we got to make everybody happy. Do we need to have coffee out front? Do we need to have the cute little stirs or do we need to do all this? But I love Jesus's response. Verse 67. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and he says, are you also going to leave? See, Jesus wasn't moved by this external stuff. Naomi lost her attitude. Jesus kept his attitude. Can I suggest to you, it doesn't have to be a certain way. 
It doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to go like I think it should go or like someone else says it should go. Planting a church for us is not looking like other people's church, but we're not called to be like other people. I'm not called to live their life. They're not called to live my life. And I believe that Christianity has some faulty messages through the years and that it's going to be all roses and you're not going to have any problems. As soon as you accept Jesus, then everything's going to be great for you. And, you know, the, I'm going to live above only and I'll never be beneath and I'll never have these difficulties and it's only onward forward motion and I'll never go back. I'll never. That's not in the Bible. For us to always, just everything works out in roses. Yes, he says that that's our prayer that we're above only. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fire. Daniel ended up in the lion's den. Jonah ended up in the well. I can keep going on and on. Jesus is not praying for Peter to not have the struggle. He's praying for his faith to go through the struggle. Can I suggest to you the, the thing we say a lot, I have decided, is not just about accepting Christ. It's not just about baptism where we wear a shirt and it looks cool and you come up and it, it's got to be our way of life. We had an all-night prayer at a church I was serving at in Florida. And an all-night prayer. I mean, if you think praying for an hour's like, exhausting, an all-night prayer. And we were there. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I was really just losing it. I was, like, falling asleep. You know, that's my time to go to sleep. And, and, I, and, I, and I wasn't sure if I was dreaming or if I had a vision. And I realized later it was a vision. But as I was there kneeling in front of the padded chair, I saw... And the only way I can describe it, and I hope I can do this well, it was like a, a circle... And it was green all in there like with grass. And there's this tiny half circle in bright red soil. And it looked like in a baseball field where they'll have the red clay and all the things. And, and as I'm looking, I'm like, I must be hallucinating because this is kind of a crazy thing that I'm seeing. And as I was sitting there watching, it was just like in a, a, a movie that all of a sudden it started zooming out. And I started seeing more and more of the picture. And what was this little tiny circle with this little bitty half circle, as it zoomed out, I saw it was a complete circle. Grass all around, grass in the middle, and this perfect circle. And God spoke to me at that one moment, and he said these words to me. He says, this is what my church has been doing for so long. They've just been going around in circles, doing what they think they should do and thinking what it should be. And immediately he took me to another place, and I was on the beach, and I'm walking, and I'm thinking it's the, the um, this is where you carried me, you know, and there's one set of footprints. I'm thinking that in my mind. And he had me look at my feet, and he, looked behind, he said, look behind you, and there was no footprints anywhere. Look ahead, there's none. And he says, listen, where I'm taking you, you cannot look at where you've been. You can't look to your front or to your right because no one has been where you're going. Can I suggest to you that we have to be in this place where God is leading us to and we're following him. That where Naomi and Ruth are sitting here goes, it didn't work out and this isn't what I'm thinking. And this isn't how I think. And this is where we're going. God's like, I've got the solution. We see that Jesus is praying for Peter. Richard Wormbrand. We saw the movie, or we talked about it a long time ago when it came out, and it's, it's been released again, and hopefully it'll be out on DVD and we actually have a movie night here and play it. He would never have been known in his life 
if it wasn't for the struggle that he went and the persecution. Now he's one of the greatest encouragements for the underground church. Can I suggest to you that your story is chronicled by your experiences and how you handle them? Look at the characters in the Bible. It never looked like how they thought it should look. It never looked like how they thought it would turn out. Joseph thought it was going to be wonderful for him. And his own family deserted him. I've often heard the, the, the question, and maybe you've even heard the song, it says, what if the Bible were still being written today? Can I suggest to you the Bible is still being written today? Just not on paper. It's your life is the testament. So in the Bible, we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, but then can I suggest to you that your life is the testament to all those people that are around you? The Bible is still being written because people will see your life long before they read that Bible. They will see what's going on in your life long before they open up the pages of the Bible to learn about God. But it may not look like what we thought it should look like or what someone else would say it needs to look like. Maybe you're like me that God's saying, hey, where you're going, no one's even been, so you can't even compare how it is. This morning, my message to you is do not quit. The only way we fail is if we quit. Do not quit. Perhaps, though, you lived to this point in your life on your own. Maybe as I'm describing some of this stuff to you and all the people in the Bible, that you've realized that doing it your way hasn't worked out that well. It hasn't worked out like you thought it would work out. Or maybe you would say, if I'm honest, I'm far from God. We have so many people in so many different expressions that are watching online through Facebook Live and our online church and the podcast that's going around the world. I wouldn't even begin to try and figure out where everyone finds themselves today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? May I invite you this morning, today, to give your life to God? Rather than live your life for you, that you inquire and make decisions from God, the one who created you, as to why he created you and what his plan is for you. If that's you this morning, it's so simple. It's a private thing. I'm not going to invite anybody up to the front. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. This is a private moment between you and your creator. And literally, you can pray the prayer yourself. I'm just here to help you with the words. If that's you this morning, I just want you to simply pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, thank you for paying for my sins so I don't have to. Today, I invite you into my life. I ask you to forgive me. I come just as I am. I surrender all, and I choose to follow you. And the best way I know how, I'm going to follow you from today forward.
Father, I pray that everyone that prayed that prayer for the first time or for another time, Lord, that you would be there with every one of us. And Lord, I know you're so excited. And where things may not have looked like how we think they should look, that we can trust in you. Lord, we can be encouraged the fact that Jesus prayed for Peter and now is sitting at your right hand interceding for us. God, let us find our way with you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray.